Let's get into the teaching of the Word. We are starting a new teaching series today. We're actually going to spend six Sundays together teaching on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I think this is important now. I know a lot of times whenever somebody even mentions the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the first thing somebody thinks is, I don't want to speak in tongues. I don't want to get up in church and, 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 and say something weird. Listen, my desire is that all of us would pray in tongues in our private life. In our private prayer time, I want every one of us praying in tongues. But speaking in tongues publicly in church Paul actually said that gift should be used sparingly. It, 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 it doesn't have to be the biggest, most prominent, most important gift. In fact, it should be one of the lesser gifts that we see operating in church. But there are a ton of other spiritual gifts that should all be operating in the church body. So I want to see all of the gifts operating, not just that one that we all get hung up on. So our goal in this six-week teaching series is that we would see the power of the gifts of the Spirit in our lives, but we would also see how practical the gifts of the Spirit are in our lives and we wouldn't get hung up on whether something is strange or weird, but we would see how it all flows naturally as a part of our journey with Jesus. All right, so that's what we're going after. Uh, the title of the series is called Rest on Us. Rest on Us. And we get that from Isaiah chapter 11, and so that's where we're going to start. If you've got your notes, you can find your notes in the bulletin. You can find them on the church app. They're attached to this video. They're attached to this audio. The notes are all over the place. Isaiah chapter 11, starting in verse 1. Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. Who is the prophet talking about? Jesus. Jesus is the son of David. David is the son of Jesse. So this is the branch that is springing forth from the root of Jesse. The prophet is prophesying about Jesus. And this is what he says about Jesus. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and strength. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. The spirit of the Lord would rest upon him. And so we're going to talk about Holy Spirit rest on us. That word rest doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit is taking a break, that he needs a breather, that he just needs somewhere to sit down. No, that word rest is the Hebrew word naha, which is the past tense. The present tense is the word noah. And I only tell you that because I wanted to make the phlegm sound. Um, but the word is rest, and it means to settle down, to remain, to reside. What did we learn last month from John 15? Jesus said, abide in me, and I will abide in you. We want the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, to rest on us, to reside in us, to remain in us, to abide within us. And Isaiah gave us six words here of describing the Holy Spirit. Now, it says when the Holy Spirit rests on us, he's going to empower us in three ways. And these are three of the blanks in your notes. The first way is mentally. He empowers us mentally. That's why it says he is the spirit of wisdom and understanding. The Holy Spirit is going to enlighten the way that our brain works and the way that we understand things. He's going to empower us physically. He is the spirit of counsel and the spirit of strength. He is going to give us strength. He is going to give us the ability to counsel and to guide and to take the proper steps. 
and he empowers us spiritually. He is the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. That is the knowledge of God and the fear of God. So the Holy Spirit, when he rests upon us, is going to empower us in all of these areas of our lives. Now, it's interesting. Sometime around the three or four hundreds A.D., the church got the idea that this list from Isaiah 11:2, and they add one more in verse 3, which is delight, that these were the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit, and that when you were water baptized, these seven gifts would come upon you. And I'm pretty sure the Catholic Church still teaches that to this day. But these are not the gifts of the Holy Spirit. These are attributes of the Holy Spirit that empower and enrich our lives when the Holy Spirit rests upon us. So what we have then is we have attributes of the Holy Spirit that empower and enrich us. We have the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. I think I said faithfulness twice. I don't know. But anyway, uh, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And then we have gifts of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're going to dive into in this teaching series is the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So as we cry out for the Holy Spirit to rest on us, abide in us, that his attributes will empower us. And part of that empowerment is we will see the gifts of the Holy Spirit operating in our lives. That's, the, that's what we're going after, all right? So here's our big picture point for today. And that is every believer can and should operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit to do their part for the kingdom of God. Every believer can and should operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so today, we're going to lay the foundation. Today is the introduction. Today might be a little more teachy than preachy. might be a little bit more college lecture style because I want to equip you with good teaching so that you have a fundamental understanding of the gifts of the Spirit. So over these next five weeks, as we dig into them, uh, we can understand how to see them operate in our lives and how to see them flow. So you guys with me? All right, here we go. We're going to get after this. The gifts of the Holy Spirit. The first question we want to ask is, are the gifts of the Holy Spirit for today? Thank you, Max. Good answer. Yes. Max says yes, so we're going to go with that. You're going to find basically three categories of churches around the world. All right, the first category is churches that embrace the gifts of the Holy Spirit. These churches would identify as being charismatic or Pentecostal. That's us, right? These are churches that are like, yeah, we're going after it, all right? We embrace it, we pursue it, we desire it, we want to see it operating. The second category of churches is churches that don't deny the gifts but tend to ignore them. Right, so if you were to back them into a corner and put them on the spot, they would be like, yes, we believe the gifts of the Holy Spirit are real and they're in operation, but they won't ever teach on it. They don't really want to see it in their church. You know, that's a category of churches. And then the third category is churches that teach that the gifts stopped a long time ago. These churches are called cessationist churches or cessationist theology that just being a fancy word based off the word to cease, that the gifts of the Spirit have ceased. So why would churches teach that the gifts of the Spirit stopped a long time ago? I'm going to give you the two most common reasons that I run into. There's probably more, but these are the ones that we're most likely to hear. The first one is that the gifts stopped when the Bible was canonized. The gifts stopped when the Bible was canonized. 
Where does this come from? It actually comes from a misinterpretation of 1 Corinthians 13. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul said that where there are tongues, they will cease. Where there is prophecy, it will cease. Where there is knowledge, it will be done away with. Paul is basically saying the gifts are going to cease. And then he says, when that which is perfect comes, then that which is partial will be done away with. So cessationists believe that that which is perfect was the Bible. So when the Bible came, the gifts were done away with. Why is this a misinterpretation? Because if you continue to read this paragraph in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says that when that which is perfect comes, then we will fully know everything just like we are fully known. Does anybody fully know everything? No? No, because why? Because Paul isn't talking about the Bible. When he says that which is perfect comes, he's talking about the second coming of Jesus. When Jesus comes, we're all going to live in eternity, and we're going to fully understand everything. Until then, we need some help. And the gifts of the Holy Spirit are the help that we need. So this is a misinterpretation of 1 Corinthians 13 to say that when the Bible was canonized, the gifts stopped. The other one is this. The gifts died with the apostles. That when the original 11 apostles passed away, the gifts died with them. This is rooted in a teaching that believes that only the apostles could pass on the Holy Spirit. So people could only be baptized in the Holy Spirit if an apostle laid hands on them, and they could only have a gift of the Holy Spirit if an apostle laid hands on them. And so that first generation of the church, they all had it because the apostles laid hands on all of them. But then after that, it just died away because it died with the apostles. Again, this is bad theology, right? We read in Acts chapter 10 that the household of Cornelius was baptized in the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues, and nobody touched them. And then also in 1 Timothy 4.14, Paul says this to Timothy. He says, do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was granted to you through words of prophecy with the laying on of hands by the council of elders. Timothy had spiritual gifts that he received when the elders laid hands on him, not the apostles. And in case you think it's the same people, no. If you read Acts chapter 15, four times in Acts chapter 15, it says the apostles and the elders, two different groups of people, right? It's this phrase, the council of elders, that churches use today, which is why we have a board of elders today. There is a council of elders. Timothy had spiritual gifts that were given to him through the elders of his church, not through the apostles. So again, this reason doesn't stand up to biblical scrutiny. Instead, we stand on Acts chapter 2, where when the people said, what must we do to be saved? Peter said to them, repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far away, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. The gift is for you, it's for your children, it's for as many as God calls. It goes on for generations. Now, besides those reasons that people give for cessationism, I think it's also important to understand history. The early church, they operated fully in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But something happened around the 300s, 400s A.D. 
the church became the official state church of Rome. And you guys know anytime religion is institutionalized, it loses its edge, it loses its power, and it just becomes religious. And so what happened is, is when the church was institutionalized under the state of Rome, the gifts stopped. People stopped operating in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. They lost their edge. They lost their power. As time went by, of course, they came up with these cessationist ideas, but also they began to persecute anybody who wanted to operate in gifts of the Spirit. And by persecute, I don't just mean they were mean to them. I'm talking like burned at the stake kind of persecution. Like you're a heretic. You're practicing witchcraft because you want to operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Now, in the Great Reformation, when uh, the, the, the Protestant church separated from the Catholic church, there was much more of a focus on the Holy Spirit, but the whole idea of the gifts of the Spirit still wasn't highlighted until the late 1800s. People began to get passionate again about pursuing the baptism of the Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And that passion bubbled over in 1904 in what is known as the Welsh Revival. It was the greatest outpouring of the Holy Spirit since the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And it spread to the nations, and it spread to the United States into a little church on Azusa Street in Los Angeles in 1906 when the Azusa Street revival broke out. And out of that Azusa Street revival is where Pentecostalism and charismatic churches were brought back into the mainstream of Christian life. So the heritage that we have that dates all the way back to Acts chapter 2 was really reestablished about 120 years ago. And the fact, some people still think we're weird, but the fact that we're generally accepted in the Christian church has only been the case for about 120 years. This idea of Pentecostalism and Charismatics, that's where the Assemblies of God Church, the Foursquare Church, these were all birthed out of the Azusa Street Revival. There's your history lesson for today, all right? So, that's why cessationism happened, because of institutionalization and bad theology. But we believe the acts of the Holy Spirit are for today, they're for our children, they're for everybody whom the Lord would call. All right. So now let's talk about what are the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Well, Paul uses two words that honestly, it seems like he kind of made up himself. Because these two words... None of the other writers of the New Testament use them except for Peter uses it one time. So these are words that I think Paul made up to describe the operation of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. First off, we have the, the Greek word pneuma, which means spirit. And then if you make it pneumatikos, it means spiritual. Right? So anything that is spiritual is pneumatikos. Well, Paul made that word plural and made up the word pneumatica, which literally means the spirituals, which sounds like a comic book superhero team, right? The spirituals. But if you read your Bible in English, if you were just to read the spirituals, that wouldn't make any sense to you. So in our English Bibles, it says the spiritual gifts. So anytime in your Bible where you read the spiritual gifts, 
We added the word gifts in there just for it to make sense, but Paul just called them spirituals. What does that mean? It's an adjective describing things or people as manifesting the Holy Spirit or serving as an instrument of the Holy Spirit, right? So anything related to the Holy Spirit working through our lives is pneumatica. The second word is charisma, or plural would be charismata. This comes from the root word hardis, which means grace. Anytime we read the word grace in the New Testament, it's the word hardis. So charisma is a gift of grace. It's a gracious gift. In the plural hardismata, gracious gifts. So anytime you read in the New Testament where it says gifts of the Spirit, that's the word hardisma. And this word, Peter actually used one time. Other than that, these two words are exclusive completely to Paul, except for the one time that Peter used it. So let's look at that one time that Peter used it. In 1 Peter 4.10, Peter says, As each one has received a special gift, a hardisma, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the multifaceted grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking actual words of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies. Right? So Paul or Peter says that we all have these special gifts and that we should be good stewards of the grace of these gifts that were given to us. And how do we do that? We speak and we serve. We speak as if we're speaking the very words of God, and we serve as if we are serving in the power of God. So if we're going to take those two words, pneumatico and hardisma, and we take this passage from Peter and we put it all together, this is the definition that I put together with the help of some theologians on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's in your notes. It says this. It's an act of God's Spirit to produce a concrete manifestation in word or deed of God's grace through an individual for the benefit of others. Let's break that down because that's a mouthful, right? It's an act of God's Spirit. This is the Spirit of God working through us. It's not just a natural ability that we have. Sometimes it is a natural ability, but it's enhanced by the Holy Spirit. Or sometimes it's an ability that we could never have naturally, but the Holy Spirit is acting through us. It's a concrete manifestation. That means that people can see and hear it, right? It's not just something that happens invisibly. It's something that you do that people can see and hear. And it's either a word or a deed. It's either something that you say or it's a way that you serve. To bring about what? God's grace. This is a gift of grace. This is a way that God ministers His grace into people's lives by empowering us by the Holy Spirit to be an instrument of the Spirit to minister His grace into somebody else's life. And it's always for the benefit of others. That is so important. So many times we get caught up in wanting signs, in wanting Holy Ghost parties, in wanting to be super charismatic, in getting weird, in wanting power, in wanting to get noticed, in wanting to get famous. We want the gifts for all the wrong reasons. Listen, the only reason to desire the gifts of the Holy Spirit is for the benefit of others. If you have any other desire, it's a wrong motive. The, the longest teaching on the gifts of the Holy Spirit is 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. 
So in 1 Corinthians 12, he teaches on the gifts. In 1 Corinthians 13, he says the gifts are useless if you don't use them in love. And then in 1 Corinthians 14, he says use them in order in the church. The gifts are useless if they're not used in love. They're for the benefit of others. That is what the gift of the Holy Spirit is. So now let's go to 1 Corinthians 12 and let's read Paul's core teaching on the gifts of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12.1, now concerning spiritual gifts, or more appropriately, now concerning the spirituals. Brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be unaware. Other translations say I don't want you to be ignorant. Paul says I want you to know about these. I want you to understand them. I want you to know how to use them. I want us all to know about the gifts of the Spirit. Let's jump to verse 4. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are a variety of ministries and the same Lord. There are a variety of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one, let's stop right there. What does each one mean? Does each one mean you? Does each one mean you? Does each one mean me? Raise your hand if you're included in each one. That's right. Each one means all of us. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. We've all been given the manifestation of the Spirit. That means we all have spiritual gifts. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to who? Each one individually, just as he wills. Let's break this down. First off, Paul says there are a variety of gifts. So how broad is the variety of gifts? The narrowest interpretation is that those nine gifts that we just read are the only ones. i got to be honest with you. I have no idea why anybody would teach that. There was actually this traveling evangelist that I was friends with on Facebook, and he put a post up one time, and it was super snarky. And the post just said, sorry, pastor, there's only nine spiritual gifts. And I thought to myself, first off, it's pastors who bring you into their church who fund your ministry. So I don't know why you're getting snarky with pastors. And second off, why would anybody narrow it down to just those nine that we just read when Paul uses the same word, harisma, to list off a bunch of other ones. So this one makes no sense to me, but you will run into some people who will say there are only nine gifts of the Spirit. The more moderate stance is that there are either 16 or 21 gifts. Why the difference of five? Because in Ephesians chapter 4, when Paul lists the five office gifts of the church, he doesn't actually use the word harisma. So some people leave those five out. If you leave those five out, you've got 16 that are listed in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12. Or you've got 21 if you add those five in. All right, this is where I stand, and this is what we're going to do for the next five Sundays, is I'm going to teach you all 21 of these gifts. But what about the broadest way to interpret the gifts of the Holy Spirit? 
The broadest way would be to say that Paul lists the most common gifts, those 21, but any act of grace empowered by the Holy Spirit is a gift. I'm not totally there yet, but I wouldn't argue with you if you believe that. I believe you could get that from the Bible. Right in the Old Testament, it says that the Holy Spirit came upon Bezalel and gave him the gift of craftsmanship. Craftsmanship is not in my list of 21 that I'm going to be teaching you, right? So this would be the broadest definition of of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, is that Paul lists the most common ones, but any act of grace empowered by the Holy Spirit could be a gift. All right. Why gifts of the Holy Spirit? What is the purpose? Well, the first one, not in your notes is that it's for the common good, right? We just read that in 1 Corinthians 12. The manifestation of the Holy Spirit has come upon each one for the common good. Other translations say for the good of everyone or for the benefit of everyone. 1 Corinthians 14.26, you should be familiar with this verse because it's the verse that we use to base how we do our Sabbath of Sabbath services. Paul says, what is the outcome then, brothers and sisters, when you assemble, each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. All things are are to be done for edification. It's for the common good. The gifts of the Holy Spirit should build people up. It should encourage them. It should strengthen them. It should be for their good. If you're tearing somebody down, you are not using a gift of the Holy Spirit. Are you guys with me? It's for the common good. The second purpose of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is to build the church. So as long as Jesus is still building his church, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are still necessary, and they are still for today. In Ephesians chapter 4, those five office gifts I was just talking about, he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. For what? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Jumping to verse 16, when the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. When everybody is operating in their gift of the Spirit and is doing their part in the church, the church is healthy and thriving and growing and full of love. That is the purpose of the gifts. The third one, the one that's in your notes, is to confirm the gospel. And I don't have time to teach on this one, uh, but you can write down in your notes Mark 16, verses 15 through 20, and 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. Both of those passages teach us that the gifts of the Holy Spirit confirm the gospel that we are preaching. And so do we want to be more effective in sharing the gospel? Then we should be operating in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And the gospel will be confirmed. All right, so what do we learn here from reading 1 Corinthians chapter 12 about the gifts of the Holy Spirit? First off, we should all desire them. Right? Sometimes we feel weird, like, well, I don't know if I should desire it. I don't know, like, should I pursue it? Should I really be into that into it? In 1 Corinthians 12.31, Paul says, earnestly desire the greatest gifts. In 1 Corinthians 14.1, Paul says, pursue love, yet earnestly desire spiritual gifts. In verse 39, he says, earnestly desire that you may prophesy. Paul tells us three times that we should desire the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So we should desire them. We should long for them. We should want to see them in operation. Again, not for our benefit, 
but for the benefit of everybody around us. We know that when the gifts are operating, the church is stronger, the church is more effective, more people are getting saved, the gospel is going forth. So we should all desire them. Second point, we all have them. We already covered that. Each one includes each one of us. We all have them. But we don't earn them. In Romans 12, 6, Paul says, Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. These gifts come through God's grace. We don't earn them. It's not like, oh, I wish I was more spiritual. I wish I did more Christian stuff so I could have more gifts. No, they're gifts of grace. You don't earn them. You don't deserve them. God just gives them because he wants you to be an instrument. We don't earn them. Also, we don't choose them. Prophecy is the only gift of the 21 that we're going to cover is the only one that Paul says we should try to do that one. The other 20, it says that the Holy Spirit distributes them as He wills. The Holy Spirit decides which ones we have. We don't get to decide. Oh, I wish I could do that. Well, sorry, but the Holy Spirit gave you this one. Use it. Right? We don't get to choose them, but we are responsible for the gifts we've been given. Right? We are responsible to use them properly. We know the parable of the talents. Don't bury your talent in the ground. Use it to multiply the kingdom of God. We are responsible to use the gifts that we have been given. Here's another important principle. We all have them in a different mix and a different degree of strengths. What did we just read here in 1 Corinthians 12? It says that there are a variety of gifts. There are a variety of ministries. And there's a variety of effects, or other translations say outcomes. So everybody has a different mix of gifts, ministries, and outcomes. So, you know, one person could have the gift of evangelism, preach the gospel, and a thousand people get saved. Another person could have the gift of evangelism, preach the gospel, and 15 people get saved. Is one person better in the kingdom than the other? No. Different outcomes, as long as they're both being faithful to be good stewards of the gift that they have been given. Are you guys with me? Okay. So we all have a different mix of gifts and a different degree of strengths, which means don't compare yourself to others. Compare only brings despair. All right. You're only going to put yourself down, minimize yourself in ministry. Don't compare yourself to others. Be faithful to the gifts you've been given to the level that you've been given. That's it. Are you guys with me on that? All right, well, let's finish with this. How do we operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit? I give you four steps in your notes. Step one is stir up the gifts. 2 Timothy 1.6, Paul says this to his young disciple. He says, for this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. He says, I want you to kindle afresh. That means to stir up, to fan back into flames, right? Part of this is we've got to stir it up, right? If we're just going to live mundane, non-spiritual lives, we're not going to operate in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. we got to stir it up. Well, how do you stir it up? Do anything that gets you more in tune with the Holy Spirit. 
anything that gets you meditating on the Holy Spirit, that gets you uh, listening to the Holy Spirit, anything that gets you excited about serving the kingdom of God, putting yourself in positions where God is going to use you, right? Listen, the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, uh, they're, they're clearly they're used in church because Paul dedicated the entire chapter 14 to teaching how to use them in church. Well, in church, it's like, well, God could use somebody else. There's a lot of us in here. It's not going to be me. But you put yourself in a situation out in public where you're the only one there to minister, to pray, to preach, Stir up the gifts, man. It's you. Stir up the gifts. So if we're living non-spiritual lives, we're not going to just suddenly see the gifts of the Spirit operating. We need to stir those gifts up, whether it's through meditation, worship, uh, uh, prayer. Uh, praying in tongues in our private prayer life is, is very important in this aspect. Stir up the gifts. Number two, I'm going to teach you an old King James word. Be sensitive to an unction. All right, unction's not really a word that we use a lot today, but when I'm around the old timers in the Pentecostal charismatic churches, they still use this word unction. They get it from the old King James Bible. In 1 John 2.20, John said this, but ye, because old King James, but ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. What does this idea of unction mean? In our, in our modern Bibles, it actually says anointing. But the best way that I can describe unction is that you have this feeling. You have this compulsion inside of you. Paul said, the love of Christ compels me. You just feel something drawing you. You feel something inside of you that just says, I've got to do this. I've got to do this. That's an unction, right? We have to be sensitive to the unction. We have to be paying attention so that when the Holy Spirit gives you that unction, you're ready to respond to it. So again, this is something that we have to practice. When we come to church, don't just come to church and go through the motions. Come to church and pay attention as we're worshiping, as we're singing songs. Is the Holy Spirit giving me an unction? When you're at work, when you're out in the community, when you're around people, be sensitive. Is the Holy Spirit giving me an unction? Am I being compelled to do something? Number three, yield yourself to the Holy Spirit. Romans 6.13, Paul says, present your instruments, present, present your body as instruments of righteousness. You've got to yield yourself to the Holy Spirit. You have to allow the Holy Spirit to use you. Now, this is important. Some people have this weird idea of spiritual gifts that, like, you become a zombie, you lose consciousness, the Holy Spirit takes over, and then, like, you wake up an hour later and you're like, what happened? What did I do? What did I say? That's not how this works. The Bible says that the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. What does that mean? That means that we always have a choice, right? The Holy Spirit is not going to force you to do something. Right? All of a sudden, you're just like a zombie walking to the front of the church. I must give a word. No. You always have a choice. But you have to make a choice to yield yourself to the Holy Spirit to allow Him to operate through you. And then finally, number four, let me have the worship team come back up. Do what you're supposed to do. It's pretty simple, right? 
If you're supposed to say something, say something. If you're supposed to pray, pray. If you're supposed to give something, give something. If you're supposed to serve, go serve. If you're supposed to lead, then lead. Do what you're supposed to do, right? So we've got to stir up the spirituals in our life. We've got to live being sensitive to the unction of the Holy Spirit so that we know when the time is right. Then we yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit. We make the choice, yes, Holy Spirit, I'm going to allow you to move through me. I'm going to be an instrument of the Spirit. And then you just step out and do what you're supposed to do. And then you trust God for the variety of outcomes. I don't know how this is going to turn out. I don't know how God is going to use this, but I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. I feel an unction of the Holy Spirit to stand up in front of church and give a prophetic word. I feel an unction of the Holy Spirit to pull my brother or sister aside and pray over them in a specific area. I feel an unction of the Holy Spirit to pray for that sick person and believe they're going to be healed. I feel an unction of the Holy Spirit to go and serve some hurting and broken people that don't have anybody else loving on them. I feel an unction of the Holy Spirit. Are you guys following me? All right, this is powerful and it's practical. It's not strange or weird. It's living the way God intended us to live. You have to understand, Paul had no understanding whatsoever of a Christian who is not charismatic. Paul did not have a definition. He did not have a picture or a vision. It just wouldn't compute for him because Paul expected every person in the church to be operating in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Every believer can and should And if we do, it will be for the benefit of others as the ministry of God's grace goes forward. It's going to build the church, Kauai Bible Church, as we operate in the gifts, and it's going to confirm the gospel, and we're going to be more effective in leading people to Jesus and see the church grow in new converts. That's the gifts of the Holy Spirit. That's what we want to go after together. Amen? Will you stand with me? Thank you, Jesus. This is our heart and our vision. Every person at Kauai Bible Church operating in the gifts of grace that God has given us, being instruments of the Holy Spirit to see the power of God at work through our lives so that the church can advance and we can make a mighty difference on Kauai and around the world. Will you yield yourself? Will you stir it up? Will you give yourself to this? That is the call. That is who we are, church family. So, Lord, I pray right now that you would take the words of truth that were taught from your scripture and you would seal them in our hearts, Lord. I pray that we would have understanding and we would have love. And out of love and understanding would flow a powerful ministry of grace through each individual and through the church collectively. Jesus, Jesus. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would rest on us. Jesus, you said we would do the works that you did and we would do greater works than you. So Jesus, if you needed the Holy Spirit resting on you, then by all means, we need the Holy Spirit resting on us. So Holy Spirit, will you come? Would you empower and enrich our lives? Would you distribute to each one of us your gifts as you desire so that together we would be one unified body, each one using their gifts, to see the whole body healthy and growing and full of love. Holy Spirit, we pursue you and desire you. We desire your gifts because we desire to see your kingdom advance. We thank you for this, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.